All right, you can be opening up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. We'll be continuing uh, our study in Galatians chapter 4 today. And uh, hope you're enjoying the study. And uh, again, we've been through about three chapters, almost the fourth chapter. And we're, we're, we're learning a lot about what Paul had to say to those brethren that he had helped establish a church in the region of Galatia, right? What they are going through. And um, of course, they had some issues that he's having to deal with. And you can kind of see he did go back and visit. And his, you can see that in the book of Acts he, a second time. And he knew there were some things he had to deal with. In the first four chapters, he defends some things, particularly in the first two chapters, his apostleship. And you can imagine these people that are coming in after he is gone are saying things like, well, Paul, he's not an apostle. Who is that guy? You know, you got to keep the law. Paul don't know what he's talking about. He, he wasn't with Jesus. He wasn't there with the 12 or, or the 70 or, the, or the, the hundreds of disciples that were there. He was persecuting the church. I'm, I'm sure they heard that, right? You can imagine what that was like. And Paul in that first two chapters says, I'm an apostle by God's appointment, not by man. And he tells them that, right? His gospel is being, the gospel of Jesus Christ is being preached from him because he heard it from God, right? He is not appointed an apostle by man. And we know that we know his account, right? His account of when he was converted on that road to Damascus, when he was blinded, when the Lord appeared to him and told him to go into uh, Damascus to be, hear words of how my, he might be saved, right? So we know, we know about his account and how he became an apostle. He, was, he, was, he saw Jesus. He was there with him. He was accounted for as an apostle. So he's making that defense. And in that same uh, vein, he goes on to talk about how we are no longer justified by the law because these folks are coming in, these Judaizing teachers, Judaizers are coming in and saying, hey, even though you believe in Jesus Christ, you still got to keep the law of Moses. You still have to obey the law of Moses. You got to keep it, right? Because it's, uh, it's what God gave to Moses. And you still got to keep it. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. Jesus Christ is the end of that law. He's the fulfillment of the law, right? It's not about keeping the law anymore. Well, sure, we, we know right from wrong because of the law. We, God has revealed things to us that we can understand to know what's right or wrong, things we might not consider. Things the world would say, what? There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, but we know these things. But he's saying it's not about keeping the law. It's about loving each other. It's about your love for God and your love for one another. That's the fulfillment of the prophecy. That's the fulfillment of the law. All those things point to Jesus Christ. And so now we have a liberty in Jesus Christ. Not that we go out and sin, right? Not that we go out and do whatever we want to do. We obey the commandments because of our love for God. So he's trying to explain to them, it's not about keeping the law. You can't keep it anyways. Neither could the Judaizing teachers keep it. They're in the flesh. There was only one that was good, and that was Jesus Christ in the flesh. So he makes several arguments. <coughs> I'm going to go back and read a few of these. If you'll turn back over to chapter 3 there. And let's go back and look at some of the things he says. Chapter 3, he's going to make a personal argument to the Galatians. And I'm just going to start there in verse 1. He says, 
O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed? Am you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? In other words, how are you knowing about Jesus Christ? Is that from the flesh? Is that from the law? No. It's because you have heard about him and you have faith in him. The second argument there in, uh, uh, in chapter 3 we might read about in verse uh, 26, where he goes on to say, For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. That's the practical argument, how one becomes a son, how one becomes an heir. All of us who have become Christians who have faith are now heirs, now sons of God. There's that practical argument. The scriptural, of course, you can read a few verses before that. In verse 24, he says, um, Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ. We just, we just said that. That we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. See, Paul's saying, yeah, the Old Testament argument, that there was a need for the law. It was our tutor. It was our teacher. But now we're under a New Testament. We don't need the tutor anymore. Oh, sure, we know we learn, we put that in our minds and in our hearts to obey because that's how we show our love for God, through those commandments that we keep. Then there's a sentimental argument, which we went through last week, right? Uh, over there in chapter 4, beginning in verse uh, 17, he said, They zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you, that you may be zealous for them. But it is good to be zealous in a good thing always, and not only... When I am present with you, my little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you, I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I have doubts about you. Paul's sentimental argument. He's appealing to their sentiment, right? He's saying, I was with you. I was in fellowship with you. I preached to you the gospel, the truth, because of my love for you. And you took care of me. You were there for me too. But now I worry about you. I have doubts of where you're going with this. And so he makes an argument. Did I not preach these things to you? Did you not hear from me? He's making an argument. And today we're going to hear this last argument that he's going to make. And it's the allegorical argument, okay? He's going to use an allegory today, and it's very interesting to see it. And it's interesting that Paul would mention it, right? It's the allegory between Hagar and Sarah. Now, I would imagine most of you know the story about Hagar and Sarah, right? Maybe some of you are going, who was Hagar? Okay. Who was Ishmael? Okay, and so don't worry, we're going to go back through that historical account. But first, before we do that, let's read what Paul says there in Galatians 4, beginning in verse 21, as he starts to describe this allegory that he has. He says in verse 21, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. 
But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through promise. Which things are symbolic? For these are the two covenants. The one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. Interesting, interesting verse there. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is. Talking about when he's writing this letter. And it is in bondage, and it is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem, Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor, for the desolate has many more children than she, for the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Now we are brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. All right. Pretty powerful comments there, right? He's referring to Hagar, the bondwoman, Sarah, the free woman. What in the world is he talking about? Well, of course, we've got an allegory here. This is an allusion or an addition to a literal story, right? Something that when you read this story, you don't necessarily see. But now you can. And Paul's bringing that out. It's important to note Paul does not deny the actual historical narrative here. He doesn't say anything about this not being a real event that occurred, like you might read about today. He does not, he only illustrates this point to the benefit of the readers who are tempted to go back to the law of Moses, who are tempted to continue the burden of the law. Interesting, right? The apostle gives us an allegorical interpretation of this narrative of Hagar and Sarah. Well, to understand that, we probably need to read the historical account, don't we? So let's go back to Genesis chapter 16 and see exactly what happened with all that, all right? Genesis chapter 16, we're going to begin there in verse 1. And you're going to, I'm going to read this, but you're going to see that Sarai and Abram are older in age, all right? Probably older than most everybody in here, okay? It's going to, and that, that's going to kind of add to the story. But most of you know that, I know. But let's read about it. 16 and verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. And Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. And so he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. 
Then Sarai said to Abram, My wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between you and me. Sir Abram said to Sarai, Indeed your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring of the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarah. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. And then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are with child and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. For she said, Have I also here seen him who sees me? Therefore the well was called Beer Lehi Roy. Arai. Observe, it is between Kadesh and Berid. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram named his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. All right. Here we have Sarai and Abram, right? Sarah's barren. Can't have a child. All right? They're up in age. Sarah says, okay, Abram, I can't give you a son. Therefore, I have this handmaid, Agar. She's an Egyptian. Go into her and bear a son through her. She'll become your wife. Hagar uh, conceives. And after she conceives, she gets a little arrogant, perhaps, right? A little haughty, a little uppity, and despises Sarai because she has Abraham's child within her. The, one, the child that Sarai cannot conceive. Interesting, right? God confirms, uh, it, God confirms to Hagar after she's sent out because Sarah can't deal with it, so she got to go and says, you have a son, he's going to have multitudes of nations under him as well. Now, we already know about the promise to Abraham, right? We already know that promise that he's going to make a great nation of him, that the world, all nations, are going to be blessed through his descendants. And guess what? We know who came through Abraham, right? Jesus Christ, of course. We have it in the Word. We can read the genealogy, right? But God says, Ishmael... It's going to be made, have multitudes of nations too. Interesting. And he's going to take care of them. Interesting. Let's read on chapter 17 there, what he says. Beginning in verse 15 of chapter 17 of Genesis. Says, then God said to Abraham, As for Sarai your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations, kings of peoples shall be from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? 
probably say the same thing if you were 100 years old, right? And shall Sarah, who was 90 years old, bear a child? And Abram said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. All right. Here we have the promise. Here we have God telling Abraham, Guess what? Sarah's going to have a child after all. And the world's going to be blessed through him. Read on, verse 18. Then God said, No, Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son. No, Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant with his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. He will beget 12 princes, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this set time next year. And then he finished talking with him, and God went up from Abraham. So Abraham took Ishmael his son, all who were born in the house, and all who were brought with the, bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very same day, as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and Ishmael his son was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very same day, Abraham was circumcised in his son Ishmael, and all the men of the house, born in the house, or brought, bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. All right. So here we have Abraham getting the promise. Sarah's going to have a son, Isaac. Blessing of the world is going to come through him, not through Ishmael. Abraham loves his son Ishmael. He's asking God to bless him too. God says, yes, he'll be blessed. He'll have multitudes descended from him. Reading on in chapter uh, 21, let's see what happens with the rest of that story. Verse 1. Then the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the set time in which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and all who hear will laugh with me. She also said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in his old age. So the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, scoffing. Therefore she said to Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. And the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son. But God said to Abraham, Do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad, because of your bondwoman, wherever, whatever Sarah said to you, listen to her voice. For in Isaac your seed shall be called. Yet I will also make a nation of the son of the bondwoman, because he is your seed. So Abram rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and put it on her shoulder. He gave it and the boy to Hagar and sent her away. Then she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And the water and the skin were used up, and she placed the boy under one of the shrubs. Then she went and sat down across from him at a distance of about a bowshot. For she said to herself, Let me not see the death of the boy. So she sat opposite him and lifted her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the lad. Then the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, What ails you, Hagar? 
Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise and lift up the lad and hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. And then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. So God was with the lad and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. He dwelt in the wilderness of Paran and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Okay. Sarah gives birth and then she says, she, Hagar's got to go. Can't have her in here. Abraham doesn't want to do it. He's reluctant, but he says, okay, send her out. And then God takes care of her. And guess what? Ishmael thrives. God blesses him, makes him father of great nations, just like Abraham, just like Isaac, just like the descendants that came through Abraham. But God says what? Isaac is going to have the blessing. Not Ishmael, Isaac. Interesting concept, right? If you go on to chapter 25 there, you read a little more about what happens with Ishmael. Chapter 5 and verse 12. Now this is the genealogy of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's maidservant, bore to Abraham. And these were the names of the sons of Ishmael, by their names according to their generations. The firstborn of Ishmael, Nebajath, then Kedar, Adbil, Mibsam, Mishma, Duma, Masa, Hadar, Tima, Jeter, Jeter, Naphish, and Kedma. I have no idea if I pronounced those right. These were the sons of Ishmael, and these were their names. By their towns and their settlements, 12 princes according to their nations. These were the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years, and he breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. They dwelt from Havilah as far as Shur, where it, uh, which is east of Egypt, as you go toward Assyria. He died in the presence of all his brethren. Interesting. Ishmael had 12 sons. Who else had 12 sons? Isaac, right? I mean, Isaac didn't. Jacob. Get ahead of himself. Yeah. There's 12 sons. It's always that 12 number, right? Ishmael was blessed, but Ishmael did not have the promise. That was through Isaac. Interesting, right? Well, where are we getting at with all this? All this historical account. Um, some things you might see today in the news or in the world is there's a lot of conflict, right? Especially over there in the Middle East, right? And you got a lot of hatred between the Jews or Israelites and Israel and the Muslims or Arabs. Did you know that Muslims consider to be descendants of Ishmael for the most part, or Arabs at least? In fact, they'll tell you that Muhammad who started Islam is a descendant of Ishmael. I don't know if they can prove that. They may, I don't know if there's some kind of genealogical record that they could prove that, but that's what they'll tell you. And to this day, you have great hatred between Arabs and Israelites, right? Interesting how that has continued on and on and on. Now that's nothing, right? Because that's just between them. That's still going on, I guess you could say, and, and maybe it is because of that sending Hagar out. Ishmael not getting the blessing. And Paul's going to kind of allude to that. But what's Paul say about it, actually? <clears throat> Go back to verse 21 of Galatians. 
over there. Chapter 4, verse 21, he says, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abram had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through promise. You see, Ishmael was of the flesh. He was of the one who was in slavery. Just like those under the law. But Isaac was born of the free woman. Ishmael was born of the one of Mount Sinai, where the law came from, right? Arabia, the Arabs, who were descendants of Ishmael. Right? Isaac of the free woman. The son of the free woman was born of the promise. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 11. Great chapter of faith there. Let's read something. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11. <clears throat> By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead talking about Abraham, were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Now, is he talking just about the Israelites? Well, there were a great multitude of Israelites that came after Isaac, right? But he does talk about that promise, right? That promise of God. And Paul applies this allegory to these two women. Hagar represents the old law, Mount Sinai and Arabia, Bearing children in slavery, corresponding to the present Jerusalem, which was in bondage. Sarah represents the Jerusalem above. What are we talking about there? You know, the great city in heaven, the new Jerusalem. Sarah, Paul says, represents the new covenant, the new testament. The freedom of the free woman. The freedom of being in Christ Jesus. Hmm. You see, Ishmael was born of the flesh, and he persecuted Isaac. And you can read on about how those Arabs continued to war with the Israelites on and on and on, just as I mentioned, which apparently is still going on today. The Scriptures show in the end that the son of the slain woman will be judged. The Judaizing teachers are saying you're under the law, you're going to be judged by the law. And you can't keep it. And remember, one transgression of the law, you've transgressed the entire law. But those who are of the free woman of Isaac, who are blessed because of the promise, who are in Christ Jesus, will be free forever. And they will inherit the promise and be with God in heaven forever. That's the allegory. That's what Paul is saying here. If you go back to the law, you're going back to the burden of the flesh. Ishmael was born of the flesh. Ishmael was born in slavery to the slave woman. Isaac was born to the free woman. 
and freedom. He's in the new Jerusalem. Now, we can look back at that and say, well, that makes sense. I can understand that. But think about what the Galatians were hearing there, especially if you're an Israelite or a Jew. Yeah, this is a little different. The Gentiles heard that and said, okay, now I understand. We're free. We're no longer under the law. These folks are coming in and saying we've got to be under the law. They're of the flesh. They're not of the new Jerusalem, not of heaven. Paul illustrates here why the Galatians should not heed the Judaizing teachers. It would be a return to slavery. It would be turning back on the spirit who conceived them. We can read that in Titus 3.5. You see, through the spirit, Jesus came to the world. Through the spirit, we hear about what he did for us. The gospel's preached. Through the spirit, we hear and have faith, right? Through the Spirit, we are able to believe in Him and do something about it. Repent, confess His name through all the world, have the courage to do that, and to be baptized in Him, raised in the newness of life. You see, we as Christians have the same promise that Sarah had, had the same promise that Isaac had, Abraham had, and are free through that same line. We get to be blessed. I'm sure you've seen a lot about the king and queen over in England these days with the funeral going on. And whenever you see that stuff, you know, like we were watching yesterday, and Julian said, So who, who's what if that king dies, who's next? And, you know, we're trying to figure all that out. You know, who's next in line, right? And it's interesting to see all that and how that's all in line. I think Prince William's next in line, right, or something. When they were, they, we were watching the thing where they were coming in and standing vigil, all the grandchildren, right? And then she, what if Prince William died, who would get it? Would Harry get it? Well, I, I don't know. I, no, I don't think he would. I think it would be his son or something. Well, what if he's like five years old, who gets it? Well, I don't know. What Paul's saying is here, as Christians, we're in that line. We get the blessing. Not that we become kings, but we are heirs of the inheritance that God has promised us. We're in the bloodline. We're part of that promise. Through Sarah and Isaac, not through Ishmael and Hagar. She was free. God made a promise. She believed it even though she laughed about it because she was older but she conceived. And by the way, if somebody might try to tell you Sarah was conceived like Mary, there's no evidence of that. We just know that she was promised after she was barren. As far as I know, it was a natural conception, but she was promised and she was able to conceive after the promise was made. <coughs> we still have things today that can attack us, though, right? Like Ishmael, the Arabs attacking the Israelites, of course. We don't have to worry over here so much about bombs being thrown at us from, you know, Syria or Saudi Arabia or wherever. But we have a lot of other stuff going on, don't we? We have the world telling us that we're stupid. We have the world going out there and telling us that what we believe is a joke. You know, we're just pitiful. 
We have a lot of false religion out there, right? A lot of people teaching things that aren't biblical, scriptural. So we're not out of the woods. We're still being attacked. We're, st we're still being told we need to keep the law. Not in so many words of the law of Moses, but being enslaved by our sin, right? It's not about keeping the law. And don't get me wrong on that. We have the law as our tutor, but we now live in freedom and liberty in Christ Jesus because of his love for us and our love for him. And John says, how do we show our love for God? By keeping his commandments. Yeah, we fail. We sin. We don't keep the law, but that's okay. The blood covers us. The blood of Christ Jesus that has provided us freedom continues to wash us as long as we're staying faithful. I guess the best way to describe it is this is heaven on earth. When we get to heaven, what are we going to be doing? We don't know for sure, but we can kind of get an idea from reading some books like Revelation. It's very symbolic, right? Very figurative. But we're going to have a love for God that just, it, it blows, we can't fathom here on earth, right? And we love God, we can love him, but that's all that's going to be there. As we're living a, eternity through our love for God and his love for us. And that's what he's talking about. It's the same thing here on earth. Your love for God changes you so much that that's how you live. You don't want to live any other way. You want to live a life of obedience to him, of trust in him, of giving your life over to him because there's no other way. And that's freedom. That is true freedom. God designed you. He designed you to love him. Gave you the choice. But he designed you to love him because he loves you. And when you love him and when you obey him, when you sacrifice for him, when you serve him, when you pray to him, when you study his word and want to know more about him, he's glorified. And that's why we're here. We're here on earth to glorify him. That's it. That's your purpose. So, like Paul says, why would you go back? Why would you go back to the law? Why would you go back to burdening people to keep the law? Christ is the end of all of that. Only by remaining in Christ can we be truly free. Can we truly be the children of promise? So, I know I'm preaching a little bit, but if you're not a child of God yet, man, it's time to do it. It's time to become an heir of the promise that was made to Abraham, Sarah, and Isaac. And all those came out through Christ Jesus, our Savior. All right, time is up. Thanks for being here.